Well, our shepherds are gone, and the kings have arrived. You notice here we got three kings. They've come from a far away place, and uh, they're finally here for the epiphany. We hear in our psalm this refrain. It was our prayer meditation, and, and then in our responsorial psalm, Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. Every nation on earth will adore you. Uh, and we hear in our second reading from St. Paul that it was not made known to other generations what's now been revealed to the apostles and prophets that the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, the nations, are co-heirs of the people of God. And uh, so last Sunday we saw the shepherds, and I used the prop of the, the sheep there. And uh, I, I, if these guys are smaller, I bring them over here and I shake them in front of our eyes here, but I can't because they're big and they're heavy. Um, but uh, we, we see the shepherds gone and uh, the Jewish, who represent the Jewish people, and now we've got the Gentiles, the nations. So the gospel is now reaching the whole world. And this is what we understand Christianity to be. It's a religion for everybody. And uh, this is what we see in the in the three kings. Now, uh, we've got kind of uh, what we could know strictly historically about these guys versus uh, legend. Okay, uh, Historically, uh, they are magi. They are these scholars or kind of philosophers or scientists, uh, probably Persian or Babylonian. And um, they could be kings, it's possible. The, the magi of uh, the Persians uh, at that time were of uh, the upper caste, and they very well could have wielded some kind of temporal authority. Uh, but the idea that they're kings comes mostly from the prophetic texts, from Isaiah, we just heard, and from the Psalms, that talk about the kings of the earth coming to Jerusalem. Um, uh, nonetheless, they, they, could be, they could be kings. Uh, we, we infer that there's three because of the three gifts, and that's kind of what I'll be talking about here in a moment. Because of the three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we infer that there's three of them. But there could have been more, you know. I think some traditions place them at, at you know, around a dozen or so. Um, so uh, that, that's basically how we can look at these guys historically. In terms of legend, though, the legends themselves have a lot of meaning and significance to them. So one at least tradition that's kind of been solidified is uh, represented here by our three statues. We've got uh, the oldest guy. I don't know if it, people, you probably can't see him, but the oldest guy, he is standing up. And uh, sometimes I guess the oldest guy and the middle-aged guy get mixed around a little bit. He kind of looks like he's supposed to be Asiatic. But uh, in the main kind of mainstream tradition, the oldest guy is European, actually. Okay, so he represents Europe. And he brings gold. And then the second guy who's middle-aged, he represents... Uh, Asia, and uh, he uh, brings frankincense. And then there's a young guy. He's from Africa, okay, and uh, and he brings the myrrh. All right. So what you have is all three continents being represented: Europe, Asia, and Africa. Now we 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 think there's we know there's seven continents, but at that you know back in the day, three continents was the was what they understood to be the, the totality of the continents on the earth. 
So these guys, they represent the, the whole earth, and they represent all the ages of mankind. So there's this kind of theme of universality about them. But what's more important is the gifts that they bring. Okay, There's very deep symbolic significance to these gifts. First and foremost, you've got the gold. And the gold represents royalty. And so Jesus, because he is Messiah, because he is king of the nations, they bring him gold that's appropriate for him as king. And then you have the frankincense. Now, frankincense is an incense that's used in the worship of God Almighty. And so we have a recognition that this king is God himself. And then finally, we've got the myrrh. Myrrh is used in the preparation of a body for burial or entombment. And so we've got also a recognition of Christ's sacrifice and the cross and his death for our sins. Uh, a recognition of his mortality. Really a recognition of his humanity. So we've got divinity and humanity in one person who is king. And that's what these gifts uh, together signify and mean for us. And very deep and profound mean. There's other symbolic significances that I'm not going to get into um, that have to do with it with the gifts. But I'm also going to draw our attention to some Eucharistic symbolism as well. Okay? So if we, we draw our attention again back to our nativity scene, we see the Christ child and he's in a manger. A manger is a trough for animals to eat out of. Okay? So here he is being presented to us, the God-man, Christ Jesus, King of the universe. He's being presented to us as food. But it's not just any kind of food, because as we heard in our gospel today, repeated many, many times, where is this newborn king born? Where? Bethlehem. Okay? Bethlehem. In Hebrew, it's Beit Lechem, house of bread. Lechem is bread. So it's not just any food, but it is bread. And as we know, Christ says that he is the bread of life. So we have this very strong Eucharistic symbolism uh, as well being presented to us. Now, speaking about the, the Eucharist, let's talk a little bit about the Eucharist here. And so I guess maybe uh, some practical, I like to be practical in my homilies, kind of have a practical take-home, um, you know, go-away sort of concrete thing to do, basically. Okay, that's kind of what I try to get into my homilies. I don't always achieve that, but I like to. So let's talk a little bit about the nitty-gritties of Eucharist and reception of communion. Okay, because it's a beautiful thing. What we believe about the Holy Eucharist is reflected in our practice. Now, everybody at St. Joseph the Worker Parish receives communion uh, in a very reverent manner. It's a very beautiful thing. It's a great joy for me as a priest to celebrate the Eucharist and to administer communion to all of us. Um, uh, but it's, it's always good to have a little review here of, of some of the, the, um, uh, the ways that are most reverent and proper to receive the Eucharist. It's, it's good to know that uh, for hundreds of years, the standard way of receiving Holy Communion was on the tongue, directly on the tongue. And that's still actually the default mode of receiving Communion. Okay, that's the default mode. Now, starting in 1969, the, the Holy Father gave permission to each individual bishop to allow their faithful, if they so chose, to receive Communion on the hand. 
Okay? And uh, most bishops have taken advantage of that, uh, that permission, but not all. In fact, I recall years ago I taught a student from a country called Kazakhstan, which is, which is near Pakistan and India, it's way out in the Far East. And um, none of the bishops in Kazakhstan uh, have, have uh, taken advantage of that, uh, that permission. So actually all Roman Catholics in Kazakhstan receive communion on the tongue and they don't think anything differently than, you know, they don't even imagine how you should receive communion on the hand, okay? So that's just interesting, it's something to know about. But in any event, when uh, the Holy Father gave permission to bishops to give us permission to receive communion on the hand, it was said, you know, reception of communion on the hand should be just as reverent as reception of communion on the tongue. And just a few guidelines uh, to help us achieve that goal is um, we place, uh, if we're right-handed, we have our left hand on our right hand. So one hand over the other. If you kind of, it's funny, sometimes I get confused liturgically, you know. My friends in seminary made fun of me because I'm not the most uh, talented, liturgically talented guy. I kind of have two left liturgical hands, okay. So I'm not the brightest. So if you come to me and you kind of do this thing with your hands, I get confused, okay. I don't know where what hand to put the communion in, okay. And it can kind of slide down and, and fall down through the crack and, I, you know. So what you want to do is you want to have your, your left hand out and then your right hand under it, and then you convey it to your mouth with your with your right hand. Uh, and so that way it's a, it's a nice flat platform. You don't want to have it bent up because, again, it can slide down or whatever it might be the case. And sometimes the kids, I don't know, it's in fashion for them to have their sleeves like over their hands and stuff, you know. So let's, let's have our kids and our grandkids make sure their hands are nice and, you know, uh, presented uh, naked. I want naked hands, okay? Um... Uh, another, let's see here, what else to talk about here? Um, it's important as well, too, because the, the job of the minister, whether they're extraordinary or ordinary, is to make sure that there's nothing bad happens to the Eucharist. So part of the way that that's ensured is that the, the host is consumed in the presence of the minister. So if you're, if you're a minister, extraordinary or ordinary, someone takes the host and starts kind of like taking a little walk with it, Kind of like, okay, well, what's he doing? What's she doing? Where are they going with that puppy? You know, are they going to sit down and, I, you know, we don't know. Okay, so you, it's important to consume the host up front here, okay? Um, and uh, uh, then I'll just end with this thing. Oh, okay, one more thing. Um, sometimes people will try to anticipate the minister and, and reach out for the host. That presents a lot of problems because what you got, you, sometimes you can have a collision. Okay, midair, like someone's doing this, and the and it, some and the host gets dropped. So you just you want to receive the host. You say you have the hand out, the place on the hand, with, then you do then you do that. Okay. Well, finally, and this ties into the bigger theme here about all nations adoring the Lord. It's an amazing uh, act of faith that we make when we receive Holy Communion. So the minister will say, "The body of Christ." And then the person who's receiving communion will say, Amen. Now that's an act of faith. I think about how much faith it took for the Magi to come to a little baby sitting in a trough and regard him as God Almighty incarnate who was destined to die for the sins of mankind. Think about how much faith that took. <laughs> all right, by all appearances, this is just a baby in a manger. All right? And uh, so, that, so just like the Magi 
required a lot of faith when they approached Christ. So also with us, when we approach Holy Communion, through faith, we believe, despite appearances, it appears to be bread, but we believe by faith that this is actually God incarnate, Jesus Christ, the King of the nations, who is here present to us, worthy of divine honor, divine veneration. And uh, so in his humanity as well as his divinity. So when the, the priest says the body of Christ, we say in faith, amen. Yes, it's true. I believe that. That's an amazing act of faith. So it's a beautiful thing for the minister and for the communicant to share their faith together. And I, one of the perks of being a priest is I get to act, make that act of faith like 60-something times or whatever, however many people I give communion to. You guys only make it once. But you can go back to your seat and continue to say amen if you want. Um, but in any event, it's a beautiful thing that we get to share our faith. It's the same faith as the Magi. And that's also why before we receive Holy Communion, we bow our head in adoration. It's an act of divine veneration that we make to the sacred host. If we think about this, this is an incredible thing. The very same person that the Magi approached 2,000 years ago and got on their knees and adored, we adore, we approach and we adore every time we receive Holy Communion. We share the faith of the Magi, the same faith, and we also adore the same person. In Holy Communion, the Magi adored. And in us truly is fulfilled what our psalm says. Lord, every nation on earth will adore you. 